Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witt University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Well, today we're going to be talking about the Dalai Lama in South Africa. Now, this is a topic that really doesn't have a very broad interest outside of South Africa. But what we're going to talk about is what's happened in the past week and the dramatic hand-wringing that's been going on, at least in the South African press and among the South African political elite, who have been defending themselves relentlessly now that they are not, and I repeat that they are not, the... um, how can I say this politely, Kobus? I want to say that I have this, my, you know, the, 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 the meme that's been coming off, that I'll just go ahead and say it, we're, we're all adults here, that they're not China's bitch. And basically what's been going on for the past week is in the wake of the cancellation of a, of a, a summit of Nobel laureates, uh, because a number of the Nobel laureates protested against what appears to be the South African government's decision not to grant the Dalai Lama a visa. And the reason why I say appears is because they, the visa had actually not been granted and had not been actually followed through. He was just told in the back channels that he was not going to receive a visa, so he didn't apply for it. We've talked about this in prior shows about the number of times that the Dalai Lama has tried to go to South Africa and has been unsuccessful. Well, now with the cancellation of this very high-profile summit of Nobel laureates, it's brought about a lot of concern, again, among policymakers, elites, thinkers, opinion leaders, that really maybe China's influence in South Africa has gone too far. Kobus, you're right there. You're in, you've been watching what's been unfolding. Again, how much of this has to do with the Dalai Lama and how much of this has to do with just the insecurity that China's role in South Africa may now in fact be, or at least perceived to be, too large? I would probably complicate that a little bit um, and say that there's a, there's a third option here and that that is i think a lot of it gets a lot of this concern gets filtered through worries that the south african political culture itself is changing um so you have to keep in mind that obviously we we you know this is shortly after the the death of of nelson mandela and there's a lot of discussion that we that south africa is is losing it the, the the kind of the culture it developed immediately after the end of apartheid which is a very strongly human rights based culture it's a, a central position in in the world as this this leader of of rights based you know kind of diplomacy and also a, a kind of a kind of a charm you know a charming position to be in in the sense that it's kind of very beloved and this worry that that's the south african government is becoming more opaque um that it's becoming more um you know more corrupt um and scarier in a way, you know, kind of so that there that there's an erosion of, of rights cultures in, in, in South Africa. And and China is kind of used as an example, as example A in, in, in this. You know, kind of so there is this, you know, kind of whether it's made that the, the, this change is China's fault or whether this, the, you know, kind of the, the close relationship with China is a symptom, it's kind of the, the two of those are kind of conflated a bit. Um, but, you know, kind of the fact that the Dalai Lama couldn't get a visa is seen as indicative of, of wider changes within the country that is worrying all of these people, I think. But, but let me just pressure you a little bit here because a lot of the coverage of the past week didn't focus on those kind of more abstract issues. They were very specific. The Daily Maverick came out with uh, the, the Independent. All the major leading news organizations came out with these types of criticisms, either for or against, saying we are not China's 
um, you know, lackey. We are not subservient to Chinese policy. There was a lot of, uh, of op-eds that said we are, clearly we are, if we're making decisions like this on the Dalai Lama. But then a lot of government ministers came out and said, no, we're not. So the argument seems very much focused on the real practical issues of whether or not China's influence in South Africa has become too pronounced. Yes, no, definitely that there there is that. Um and you know, I think there's 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 worries obviously in, in, in the context of what's going on in Hong Kong. Um, you know, there's there's worries that that China's having a, a bad kind of political influence on on South Africa. Um at the same time though, I think what that also that also reflects, you know, kind of if, if we're so close to China, then we're not as close as we used to be to the West. Right? So so we, we can if we, we're moving away from from where we used to be during the nineties, um, to a new, some kind of new New place, um, and you know, kind of part of that is the power of China, but part of that is 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 you know, kind of whether the government, the current government, is steering South Africa. Um, so the, it's this kind of Mobius strip a little bit, you know, kind of the, the kind of worries about China is is also feeding into worries about the the South African government and the fact that the government and uh, the government in, in China are so are, are increasingly um, economically so linked, and that 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 the there's the the relationship between the African National Congress and the Chinese Communist Party is so a so close and b so difficult to read from outside is also feeding into these fears. I think. Well, let's put it into a broader context because I think in in from my reading of it, and again, I'm sitting on the outside looking in, so you have a definitely a better perspective than I do. But from my cons- from my point of view, you know, you read the headlines that every single time there's a piece of economic data that comes out. The Johannesburg Stock Exchange reacts to it when that data coming from China. So if the if Chinese manufacturing data comes out, if Chinese economic data, the the JSE almost seems like it's linked to whatever's going on in China. And that might be very disarming for some people. The value of the RAND is tied in many ways to what goes on in China. Uh, On top of that, we've seen a big expansion of Chinese auto manufacturing and truck manufacturing uh, in the Cape area. Uh, And and there's the unions have have become a little bit more concerned about the growing presence of the Chinese there. Will they respect labor rights? Will they respect uh, all of the different legal instruments that that are much more pronounced in South Africa than in other African countries? And so you take all of this together uh, and then, you know, you put it in and does that feed this idea that says, wow, we really are, you know, at the end of the string that begins in China? I think so. I think so. What, what's um, what's strengthening that is obviously is the weakness of of, the, of Western economies, um, because you know a lot of South Africa's traditional trade partners aren't buying the amount of of South African uh, raw materials that they used to, and at the same time China is buying a lot. Um, so that that feeds into it. Another thing you have to keep in mind is the complete centrality and dominance of of the ruling party within South Africa. So these these unions um, are officially affiliated with the party and these deals are made via the party. So the issue is frequently, you know, kind of there's there's a lot of conversations that's going on within South Africa about the party itself. Um, and the fact that the party is has a finger in almost all of these developments, frequently on both sides. So, you know, the, the party-affiliated unions are criticizing developments that were also, or investments that were also arranged by the party. Um, you know, so the party is kind of on all sides. It's this kind of cloud that people are living within um and that you know kind of that means that a lot of these conversations 
have a kind of an inside South Africa you know, side to them. You know, kind of where, you know, when the unions criticize the party or the, when the unions criticize China, they also, the party is involved in all of those conversations in uns, unsaid kind of ways. Um, and that, I think, complicates the issue a lot. Well, let me bring up two other points for your for your consideration here. Um, you remember the citrus dispute that South Africa had with the European Union uh, earlier this year, and there was a a, a, a certain type of if I, it's a, a pest of some kind that was in in, in South African citrus, yes, if I recall. It, it, it is a it's a, some kind of fungal infection that fungal. makes black spots on the peel on orange peel. It, it's not actually harmful, but it just looks. It doesn't look pretty. Right. And so the Europeans threatened to to ban. I don't know how that story kind of played out. I do recall that the Chinese said, eh, no problem. Bring it into China. So all of a sudden, citrus growers that hadn't uh, targeted the Chinese market and had been selling into Europe now are targeting the Chinese market. The South African uh, winery market has been heavily influenced by the Chinese, both in terms of an export market and also as a source of uh, investment from China. And we go through the list of of where the Chinese have had a pronounced influence in South Africa. South Africa is the number one source, destination for Chinese investment in Africa. It is the base for a lot of corporate uh, headquarters for the region. Uh, and it's become incredibly important, none more so than when we saw the arrival in Cape Town of the, the, the Chinese fleet that came in there. So in so many different ways, if I was sitting in South Africa and I look from citrus to wines to tourism to military to the political relationship you talked about to the economic relationship that affects the JSE and the value of the RAND, making goods and services more expensive on a daily basis based on something that happens in China, that would cause a sense of insecurity from my point of view. And I can kind of understand why people are thinking or being concerned that China's influence is so significant, all the way to the point where the government preemptively says, you know what, a critic of China like the Dalai Lama, someone as sensitive and as controversial as that, we're not going to go there because why complicate this very vast relationship? Yes, exactly. Yes, I completely agree. And it, it goes even closer because, of course, you know, kind of the government itself is also, is, for example, as recently heavily invested in South African media. And they did that, be, you know, because they were able to secure Chinese financing for that deal. So, you know, kind of, so there is this, this idea that this, this worry on the one hand that China is so unpredictable and difficult to read, also because South Africans don't really have a lot of information about China. There's no, for example, you know, China isn't part of school curriculums. Chinese history isn't part of university curriculums. Almost no one speaks any Chinese. Um, and then at the same time, there's also this feeling that the, that the government is A, also opaque, and B, kind of in league with China in some kind of way. Um, you know, so, so it's this double, double kind of worry. That, that, that's going on um, and that you know kind of that it's it's difficult to know what to make of this of this relationship and the only thing we can see from outside is that there is a relationship well it's a pretty robust relationship in many ways and one that seems to be getting stronger it's interesting to put in the context of Jacob Zuma's comments who talked about China's uh, presence in Africa as effectively he you know, he called it, he referred to it in many ways as a neo kind of imperial power where the exportation of raw materials and the reimportation of finished goods is not sustainable. And the gap, I mean, he echoed what uh, Sanusi Lamido said from Nigeria about the type of 
neo-colonial veneer to to what the Chinese are doing there. And so I thought that was very interesting that that stood out as one of the most pronounced criticisms of the Chinese in Africa. And yet it's his government in many ways that's facilitating the integration of the Chinese, at least in South Africa, more so than almost any other country on the continent. Uh, and again, across so many different levels of society. And I guess what, let's look forward now. You know, clearly they made the decision on the Dalai Lama for political reasons. Whether it was explicit that the Chinese said, don't do this, or it was implicit that they knew the Chinese would not want it, so it would complicate the relationship. The end result's the same. Uh, looking forward, what do you see and where do you see this relationship going in terms of the Sino-South African uh, ties? I don't see the Dalai Lama coming to South Africa. Never, 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 never. Mm. That will not happen. Uh, I think I, I can. I can't really imagine any other place for it to go, but to just you know, kind of go go closer. You know, kind of the the, the relationship is going to become closer and deeper. I think um, not only not only because South Africa is is a perfect uh, economic partner for China because it it both provides raw materials. You know, because South Africa, for example, has a lot of lot of coal, a lot of platinum, Food. but then also you know it's it's one of the only places in Africa that really has the the the, the level of diversified economy that would allow a whole bunch of other Chinese companies to also invest. So, for example, the the Chinese. Um, you know, kind of tele, like the, the internet communications app, messaging app, WeChat, is big in South Africa now. It's 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 aggressively promoting itself as this, you know as as, a, as an alternative to to other kind of social media media you know kind of u- uses, which you wouldn't be able to really do in in many other African markets. So I don't really see any other places where, you know where it will go except higher and more and deeper. You know. Yeah, and I wonder, you know, what does this hand-wringing that we've seen in the South African press about China's influence or too much influence, do you see that, you know, between a very active and vibrant press in South Africa, as well as powerful unions, that that may complicate the relationship? No, actually, not really, because because the unions, most of the unions are, are actually in league with the government. Um, so even you know, so so they can criticize, but that it doesn't go beyond criticism, and the and the the press is active, but it's really actually marginal. You know, kind of the the one of one of the mysteries about South Africa is is that in the last in the last election, um, the. The ANC faced a lot of corruption scandals. I mean, not only one or two or three, like a, a, you know, a several big ones and a host of small ones. Um, a very strong cynicism about its rule. Very strong perception that Jacob Zuma himself is very is a problematic candidate. They didn't. It, it had no effect. You know, kind of they, they they got. I think maybe they lost maybe two percent of their support in the election because they they're communicating with their with their voters outside of the press. Um, you know, kind of the press itself is. In a, in, to a certain extent, criticism within the press actually strengthens their position um, because because it's so easy to 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 represent the press or to um, to you know to talk about the press as as essentially elitist white people you know kind of and of course these elitist white people would would criticize the government because they want a party to come back that's that's frequently how how the press is is contained in South Africa so no criticism actually of it isn't going to change it I interesting think. it's counterintuitive there uh, so just. To 
to recap here, the Dalai Lama, he was he did not attend the 14th World Summit of Nobel Peace Laureates because of the government's uh, repeated apparent refusal to grant him a visa. A number of fellow Nobel Peace Laureates canceled and boycotted the, the summit in Cape Town that was supposed to, to, to take place in October. Uh, and as a result, it was canceled. And in, in I guess, in some ways, this might mark the end of South Africa as a as a moral leader in the peace movement. Uh, this was, you know, South Africa for a long time had Desmond Tutu, had, you know, some of the ANC, you know, veterans who fought apartheid, you know, valiantly, and of course of Nelson Mandela. And it seems like South Africa is moving beyond that history. And it's, it's saying that, you know, that's just not who we are anymore. This is not, this is not the same priority that it was for us. Are you, is that going too far? No, no, I think I think you I think you're right. In the first the first place, that generation of people they they they've they old, you know. Now, of course, you know, kind of Desmond Tutu is 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 not in in great health. Um, you know, I think he's in his late seventies, maybe even a bit older. Um, you know, that generation they're they're kind of moving on, um, and they're not really being replaced. You know, because because there's a you know after that generation there was a very very business minded, very pragmatic, but also to a large extent a very wealth focused kind of generation came after them. So it's just not. Um, it's just not seen as being such a kind of valuable, it's seen as a kind of, you know, kind of pursuing peace and pursuing human rights above, especially economic development, is seen as this luxury that South Africa can't really afford. Um, you know, and of course, the, you know, the the entire world system has changed um, since since the 1990s. And and I think that it also reflects that. Um, you know, it was it was relatively easy for for Nelson Mandela to to invite the Dalai Lama to, invite, to, to receive him um, in South Africa um, and say, well, you know, China can be angry about that. Who cares? But, you know, kind of now it's actually not that easy. Well, the stakes are much higher. I mean, the economic stakes are much higher. And again, we talked about this in an earlier podcast about the Dalai Lama and South Africa. But, uh, you know, the, the Chinese are, are rather relentless when it comes to to these kinds of issues, Taiwan and, and Tibet. And, and there would be consequences to bear. And remember that Jacob Zuma, as you know, he's managing um, a very shaky economy. This is one that has not performed as well as people would have expected. Uh, if the Chinese did enact some type of retribution against uh, the Zuma government or South African business, it would have a pronounced effect. I mean, just again, look at the relationship between the JSE, the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, and Chinese economic data. And I think that alone, just the fear of retribution could have, a, have an effect. And I think yes, even a, a rumor of retribution uh, right. would, would be disastrous. Uh, but that's yeah. it. And and the Chinese would put retribution up. There is no doubt. It's just a question of how severe it would be. Um, they make it. They are as serious as a heart attack when it comes to Taiwan, Tibet, and Xinjiang. So um, you know, and that's he. People in South Africa and the government knew that. So that is. Uh, so I think to me, this is less about the Dalai Lama. Uh, in, in so many in ways, it's about the growing integration between China and South Africa. And that is what's interesting. And again, I think it's the worst fear that a lot of African states have. And we've talked about this in that tributary type relationship, not a neo-colonial relationship, but a tributary relationship where China's size is so disproportionate to that of, of, the, of each African state. And if they're doing this to South Africa, whatever that is, 
Uh, imagine if you're Botswana, if you are Chad, if you are a tiny little country that has that doesn't have a fraction of South Africa's economic leverage. And this is the concern that a lot of people have, that China is going to throw its weight around in ways that are not necessarily beneficial. So in some ways, this this is a this is a worrisome trend. I, I think that we should all be concerned about what's what's going on. So uh, that's what we think. Uh, we'd love to hear what you think. Uh, both Kobus and I are on Facebook at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. We have almost a quarter of a million followers from all over the world who are participating in our discussions every single day, seven days a week. Kobus is posting from South Africa. I'm posting from over here in Asia. And uh, we have almost, some days we post for 24 hours straight days, uh, 24 hours a day. So uh, it's a very lively discussion. Facebook.com slash China Africa Project. And Kobus, if people want to follow what you're reading and writing outside of Facebook, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can find me on Twitter as well at E-O-Lander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. And of course, if you want to follow this podcast, uh, so many different ways to do it. Uh, you can find us on the China File website, which is the Asia Society's excellent China-related website. Uh, that's uh, C-H-I-N-A-F-I-L-E.com. Uh, and also the best way, just go over to iTunes, type in China Africa Project, and, and you'll find us there. Uh, So until next time, we'll be back with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening.